Welcome to season two of Bear It All, where we share the good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between about biliary atresia. If your child is facing a life-saving liver transplant, please reach out to the Children's Organ Transplant Association, or CODA. The CODA crew are looking forward to learning more about your family's biliary atresia journey. CODA works with families to lessen the financial burden of a life-saving transplant and support is provided at absolutely no cost. Please call CODA today at 1-800-366-2682 or go to coda.org forward slash get started to learn more about how they can help. Welcome and thank you for joining us for another episode of Bear It All, where we have Stephanie and Arvid Screedy, who is part of the Bear Board, and also here tonight to talk to us about their daughter Sophia's journey. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. So what I wanted to do tonight is talk about Sophia's BA journey, transplant journey, all of it together. The first thing that I wanted to ask both of you tonight, and you guys can take turns, however, I don't know, however you guys want to do it, fight for the mic, I don't know. Um, and I think everybody really would like to hear, like, let's start from the beginning. How did you learn about what was going on with Sophia? How did you know that she was not feeling well? How did you get to the point where you knew something was going on? In the beginning, it was difficult because she's the youngest of four. So there was always a lot going on in her house. She always had entertainment. So she was always happy and a very easy, calm baby. Early on, she, as we called it, she was very spitty. So I would nurse her and she would projectile vomit. All of my kids were spitty, but this was at a different level. And I was like, okay, I won't forget the one night she vomited so much that it came out of her mouth, eyes, and nose. And I was like, okay, this can't be, this can't be normal. At her well child, everything was good. She was gaining weight. She was still slightly jaundiced, but being a breastfed baby, there was no concern. She was diagnosed with reflux, and that was what the projectile vomiting was. As time went by, she got more and more yellow. I saw it, and I questioned it by numerous medical professionals, just kept getting told, it's normal breastfeeding jaundice, she's fine. Then you would see a picture of Sophia with our other kids. Our other kids are blonde hair, blue eyed, very fair skinned. And then you saw her, she looked like she had a nice tan. She didn't look yellow. She just looked tan. Everyone kept saying somewhere in your family tree, it's coming from there. This isn't jaundice. It's not yellow. Someone just has that skin tone. It was more of an olive skin tone. And I was like, okay. And I didn't want to believe it. 
being a mom of four, I wasn't new to this. And I kept thinking, there's got to be something. But she was happy. She was growing. She was gaining weight. So she checked all the boxes other than her skin tone. So it didn't raise red flags for anybody. Finally, it took a good family friend who turned into so much more in the end, just bluntly saying to me, she's yellow. Why is she yellow? It was at a parade at night and I looked and I'm like, Arvid, is she yellow? And he's like, Steph, she's fine. And I'm like, okay, but this friend works in daycare. She's around babies day in and day out. She wouldn't just ask me this if there wasn't something up. And that was on a Friday and Monday, I called and made an appointment for the next day. That afternoon when I went to change her diaper, I opened the diaper and her stool was white. And I remember thinking, this is more. There's something more going on. She's three and a half months old at this point. It's more than just breastfeeding jaundice. And we went in the next day and still, they're like, nope, she's fine, but we can run labs if it would give you peace of mind. And I said, I don't want to put my baby through labs, but yes, I need to do this. Something is wrong. We left and Arvid just kept saying, Steph, she's fine. It's going to come back totally fine. You're being overprotective. You're overreacting. She's fine. And I got the first call the next morning that the labs were not normal. We needed to draw more labs. We went back for more labs. It was not a pediatric facility. They were not used to peds. It took all of us going to the x-ray table. And we had five nurses and two doctors holding her down. And I remember sobbing through every second of it because she just screamed and it was poke after poke and they couldn't get the labs. They said, you know, this is going to take a little bit longer to get these, but we'll call you. And rest assured, whatever it is, is very minor. I told Arvid that and he clung to that. He's like, it's minor. It's no big deal. Everything is fine. Stay home. I'm like, okay. We weren't getting a call and we weren't getting a call. It was what seemed like forever after. It was the next day later in the day. They called and said, so the labs are, they're bad. Something is going on and you were right. You need to be available to go to an appointment tomorrow. I mean, I just knew it was more. And I knew my tiny little baby who gained weight and grew, but not at the pace of my other kids Mm -hmm. and who had this funky skin tone that something was up. So taking a step back a little bit, when your friend had said, she's yellow, Mm -hmm. like, look at her, she's yellow. How'd that make you feel? Having someone approach you very bluntly how did that make you feel? Or what, what was kind of like, you know, was that kind of like a gut punch or I know I I went through that same thing and it, that's how it felt. It was actually, it wasn't a gut punch because being a mom of four, I was used to everybody having an opinion and everybody (laughs) sharing their opinion. And I am very good at letting it go in one ear and out the other and not reacting. And I didn't react outwardly because she still talks to this day that I didn't react. I just, nope, she's fine. All is good, but thank you. But inside 
I was dying. We were at a parade with all the kids and I couldn't focus and I couldn't function. I stepped away and called my mom and said, you know, what do you think? Do you think she looks yellow? And she said, Steph, if I thought something was wrong, I would tell you, but no, she doesn't look yellow. The entire weekend that was in my brain. And I kept thinking, no, there's more, there's more, but I was so used to commentary from people that I was like, okay, yeah, whatever. But she brought up the one thing that I was like, why? What is going on? Arvid, as dad and husband, and after that kind of comment, of course, you want to, you know, say, no, everything's fine. It's okay. Everything is fine. She's fine. Right. Did you have anything kind of like in the back of your mind, like, huh, maybe, maybe something is going on or talk to us a little bit about up to that point of, you know, what you were thinking as dad and as Steph's husband? Honestly, I, I wasn't. And when she said it that night, she was three sheets to the wind. <laughs> she came up kind of slurring her words. Why is she so yellow? Oh, it's just like, oh, whatever. And then even up to the point that we went to the appointment, I'm like, whatever. I'm like, we'll be in and out. I'll give her some medication. We'll be fine. This will be behind us. I was very, uh, what would you say? He was confident everything was good. Mm-hmm. I was confident everything was not, yep. which is our marriage in a nutshell. So you've gotten to that point. Tell us about what happens next with Sophia. So we went the very next day to an appointment locally. There was a specialist here that could see her the next day. And it also happened to be our 10-year wedding anniversary. So Arvid said, we're going to go to this appointment. She's going to get some antibiotics. And we are going to leave. And we're going to have a picnic with the kids. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a a fun day. And I looked and I said, no, no, and no, we're going to go to this appointment. We are going to be sent to the hospital and it's not going to be a fun day. And our anniversary is going to go down as the day something was really wrong. And he's like, you need to stop being negative. And I'm like, no, I know this inside of me. I know what's more. And we went in the appointment and The nurse brought us back and didn't do any of the vitals or anything. She instantly left the room and the doctor came in and the doctor had this look on her face. And I was like, yep, this is more than antibiotics. I know it. And she had us both sitting and said, have you ever heard of biliary atresia? And it was at that moment, I had never heard of it. I didn't know what it was, but I feel like I left my body. My body was sitting there holding Sophia and I was hearing everything she was saying, but I couldn't believe it was reality. I wanted someone to pinch me and wake me up. I wanted to be told it was a dream. She was very honest and said, this is going to be rough. This is very rare, but this is what I think it is. At this point, you have two options. You Well, somewhere in there too, that's when she pulled out that Poop chart. Oh, yeah. She pulled out the poop chart and said, you know, where does she fall? I pointed where she fell and she's like, okay, all of this is pointing to biliary atresia. And Arvid at that point kept clinging to, aren't there antibiotics? And I'm like, <laughs> move past the antibiotics. We are like 
that ship has sailed. <laughs> We're not doing this. We both sat there in disbelief. And that's when she gave us the option of it's Friday. You can go to the local children's hospital. We can start admitting her and doing all the things, or you can have the weekend to process and go Monday. And I was like, go Monday? No, I'm sorry. Let's go now. Let's do this. And I didn't even realize that was an option. I thought they just sent us yeah. right from there to there. No, we were given an option, which knowing what I know now, like given the option was like, wait, what? But I needed to get the ball rolling. I couldn't sit on this. I was going to lose my mind if I waited the weekend. Right. So we made the drive to the children's hospital and we were admitted between labs and ultrasound and going to interventional radiology. They confirmed we had a 11 o'clock visit that night and they said, you know, this is what it is. We can guarantee it. We don't need to do any more testing. It's biliary atresia 100%. So basically now you've, you've gotten biliary atresia confirmed at this point. Labs, ultrasound. Did they do a liver biopsy? We did a liver biopsy. At that point, you have other children who are at home, probably with grandma, grandpa, you know, somebody. Let's talk a little bit about that. How do you handle brand new baby diagnosis? You're in a children's hospital. You have all this stuff going through your mind and you're away from your other kids too now. How did you guys handle that? That to this day is my biggest question. (laughs) Um, Because not only did we have other kids at home, but so we have a new baby. We have a one-year-old a two-year-old and a four-year-old at home. It isn't like they were even slightly older. It was like boom, boom, boom. And first of all, bless you guys for even having those kids. (laughs) Like, I don't, I don't even know how people do that in in just regular, like every day. So (laughs) who was here with them? (laughs) They ran the, no, (laughs) it ended up all of our parents came together. And so it was, so funny because my parents have been divorced since I was three and it was my parents here and Arvid's parents and my dad's current wife and his ex-girlfriend. And it was funny because everybody just stepped in and did whatever they needed to do. And so we were discharged from the hospital and it was just for the weekend so that we could like get our life in order and be ready to do this. Wasn't your mom and my parents down there? So when we went to the hospital, everybody was with us. It was the whole family. So everybody was in the room for the (laughs) diagnosis. We had grandparents. um, We had everybody there. So we came home and I, like the thought of I needed to be with Sophia, but leaving my other kids, I'm a stay-at-home mom. So I did everything, handled everything. And so the the thought of being away was killing me, but I wasn't going to not go. And I even looked at the one doctor very seriously. And I said, I'm like, okay, so we're going to do this. And I know we're going to do this, but what do I need to do to be cloned? Because I have to be home and 
here and I need this to happen now. She's like, you need to worry about taking care of Sophia and yourself. The other kids will be fine. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't think you get me. Like, I need to do all the things. We need to make this happen. And (laughs) I think she thought I was kidding, but I was not. So I literally came home and we had a weekend to cram in as much family time as we could. But I also felt the need to like stock my pantry and my fridge and make sure the house was cleaned and the laundry was done. And this sounds really bad, but I like wrote a manual, like our kids' likes and dislikes, their favorite foods, like how they get tucked into bed, like all of the things so that everyone who was here was cool. But I mean, it was more for myself. Let's be honest. You're being mom. You're making sure everyone is taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. And we then on Sunday did family pictures. It was crazy to be processing the whole diagnosis. And I couldn't even at that point say the words. People would say, what does she have? And I'm like, the paper is at home. I don't know. She has liver disease because it was crazy. When you say like, you know, she has liver disease. Yeah. Biliary atresia, like say that five times when you first get diagnosed with, I mean, it's, it, it is, it's like a tongue twister, right? Did you ever get the questions? Whenever we talk about liver disease, there's always those questions. What did you eat when you were pregnant? What did you drink when you were pregnant? Did you lay out in the sun too long or like put the baby in the sun too long? You know, whatever. Did you ever get those questions when it came to like, when you said liver disease? Yes. Everyone. So did you drink for your pregnancy? Why did, what did you do different with your fourth pregnancy than you did with your other three? Nothing, but everybody had the questions. And as a parent, especially a mom, you blame yourself as it is. So then when people threw the questions out, I was like, I am hanging on by a thread. Can we like keep stupid questions to a minimum, please? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Even I, I was like, what did we do different? Yeah. Like, what was different with this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear parents that talk about, especially the moms, you know, we do, yeah. we get asked that. How is that pregnancy different? Or what did you do during yeah. your pregnancy? And it's like, I don't know. I had a great pregnancy. Yeah. I, you know, who knows? So you had family pictures. Because why I not? I don't know anybody that has had family pictures after getting handed a diagnosis of biliary atresia. That's a new one for me to hear. So after family pictures, then did you go back to the hospital? What happened after that? We went the next morning and all of our parents were here when we left. Our priest came and there was a prayer service and everybody was very confident it was going to be okay. A close family friend of ours is a physician. He called me and he's like, she's going to be fine. And I kept thinking, nobody knows this. You can't tell me this. Like I sat and I listened to the statistics and I'm a numbers person. Like, don't lie to me. We're done with the, she's going to be fine. Cause mm-hmm. I'll be honest. I didn't believe it. I'm a numbers person too. The last thing I want to be told is she's going to be fine. I, I totally get that. The only thing that played over in my head is my uncle died at a very young age. And my grandpa just kept saying to me, he's like, peanut, the worst thing you can do in life is bury your child. It is a pain that I can never explain. And my grandpa was 
the strongest person I knew. And if he felt that pain so strong, all I kept thinking is this is going to destroy me. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be able to function. And as we drove to the hospital for her Kasai, I kept saying, I want to wrap her in her blanket and I want to make it all better because I'm mom. That's my job. I need to fix this. I don't need the hospital to do this. I need to be able to do this. And I couldn't. Yeah. As moms, that's we're mama bears. We protect our children. And Arvid, with you sitting there next to Steph, dads, and we, we hardly get dads to come on here and speak with us and to share their thoughts. Thank you for doing that. Take us through your process leading up to taking her to the Kasai. So pretty uh, blissful. I think. Yeah. I was in my own world. I, I'm asking questions now because I think I blacked most of it out. 100%. I just zoned out and I had my devices and my Rubik's Cube. Yes. <laughs> he mastered the Rubik's Cube through this journey. <laughs> I just kept saying, I'm like, we're in a good spot. They've got her. She's going to be fine. Have faith. We're here. Believe and let it be and she'll be fine. He was very much in autopilot. Yeah. And for I mean, a long time. I think that's good though. Like you have to have somebody. Yeah. That, that positive force for you. Yes. Right? Because if you continue to go down that, that dark path, that rabbit hole, you need to have the opposite with you. Right. Yes. We are very much opposite. Like I am a mess before things, but the second I can see her and touch her and mm-hmm. hold her, I'm totally calm and all is good. And then he loses it <laughs> and he realizes and processes like mm-hmm. what just happened and what she went through. And I'm totally fine at that point. So she has the Kasai. Mm-hmm. Typically they say three months, let's give the Kasai three months, see if that's successful. Mm-hmm. What did that look like for Sophia post Kasai? Well, was it a week and a half? Not even. They came out of the Kasai and said, we are about 95% confident that this did not work, that she's definitely going to need a transplant. The days following in the hospital, it was a nightmare. They kept telling us that she had gas and turned out it was ascites. Um, we learned quickly what that was because we had no idea. And she was miserable. Her stool wasn't changing color. Initially, she, it did. It did. Like it's about twice and that was that was it but she remained happy and smiley it was just if you touched her moved her it was ugly we got sent home after six days and they said we're going to give it three months but we're pretty certain we went home with all these medications and blissful ignorance i think at that point like she seemed okay it didn't seem like there was anything horrible And we had, you know, the whole protocol, if there's a fever, if there's this, that, and the other thing to call, we got home and wanted to live life. And we planned some fun activities as a family. Something seemed off. Less than 36 hours later, Sophia couldn't keep anything down. She had a fever and they had us rush her to the local hospital and confirmed that one of the anastomosis had come undone. 
she would need emergency surgery to correct it. So she was taken in an ambulance back to the hospital. That was the slowest drive to that facility. We followed the ambulance and they did the speed limit. The they did the way. speed limit and they kept telling us how oh. sick she was and how dire this was. And Arvid kept looking at me and he kept saying, I could drive her quicker. I'm like, I'm aware of that. And this is what we're doing. And we are following protocol and we listen and we do what they say. And it was horrible and painful. And we were met in the ER by the surgeon who said, we are going right to surgery. It was a different surgeon because our initial surgeon was out. And I will not forget the surgeon looked me in the eyes and said, I need to take her and I need to go now. And if you pray, you need to pray now. And I just became white and I thought I was going to throw up. And I'm like, if a doctor is telling me this, this isn't good. And surgery went until about two o'clock that morning and she was taken to the PICU. At that point, she still had a breathing tube and a million IVs and she looked horrible. She was in the PICU for a few days and we were moved to a regular room. And it was at that point that the GI came in and said, I need to be brutally honest with you. Her Kasai 100% failed. She's going to need a transplant, but because of how little she is and because of how sick she is, we give her less than a 7% chance of survival till her first birthday. We took in the news. At that point, I had gone through the whole process of the diagnosis and I looked at Arvid and I said, here's the deal. These statistics don't leave this room. This is you and I that know this. We don't tell our parents. We don't tell our friends. We don't tell anybody because we are going into this that she's going to be okay. And if we have that attitude, we're going to succeed. We were discharged with a slew of medication and a ton of fear and some big secrets. But I didn't want the grandparents to panic. Oh, thank you for sharing that part because these are the good, the bad, and the ugly of Billy Patricia, <laughs> right? I mean, yep. these are the things that as parents we hear yep. from physicians, from our yep. surgeons. These are the things that, you know, we we take to bed at night. Yep. And we go to sleep and it just it stays in our brain. It stays yep. ingrained in our brain. Even, I mean, you know, Sophia's transplanted now, but we still go to bed at night with those thoughts in our head, right? Oh my gosh. I remember even shortly after we got home, her birth certificate came and that destroyed me because I said, next, I'm going to get her death certificate. And instead of being thrilled that I got my baby's birth certificate, the reality hit me like a ton of bricks. And so much joy in your baby's life is taken because you are doing everything you can to simply survive. That's another point you bring up. Survival mode. Yep. That happens the minute we hand our kid off to that surgeon. Yes. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Survival mode starts right then and there. Yeah. When you told me that, you know, when you said to Arvid, um, you know, those statistics don't leave the room. I literally got a visualization of you turning and looking at him and almost like pointing at him saying, these yeah. statistics do not leave the room. Like we are yes. not going to tell anybody. That's something as a team, as husband and wife. Yep that you guys did. And I actually commend you guys for making a decision like that right there to almost protect the rest of your family regarding the entire situation. That's a tough situation. So transplant, Mm -hmm. fast forwarding a little bit to transplant. Mm -hmm. I know when I heard the word transplant, we heard the word transplant actually the night of the liver biopsy and the plan of doing a kasai as well. When I heard the word transplant, I did not hear anything else in the room the rest of the night. It was like Charlie Brown and the teacher. Like it was the wah, yep. wah, wah, wah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the doctor yeah. was talking, <laughs> you know, and then I'm yeah. standing there and I'm looking at the doctor and I'm seeing the mouth move and all of a sudden yes. everything dims mm-hmm. and I can't hear anything. Mm-hmm. And I'm hearing the machines beep. I'm hearing my heart beat and I'm, I can't hear anything. The yes. minute I heard transplant because in different. my mind, that meant life and death. It, that, yeah. meant, that meant my child was going to die. Yep. So when you heard transplant, what were your thoughts? My initial off the cuff thought was I was brought up with a very strong faith and I was brought up that you pray. And when it gets hard, you pray. And I looked at the doctor and I said, how can I pray for my child to be okay when for my child to be okay, somebody has to die? How can I do that? How can I take and make my child okay, but somebody loses their life? And she looked at me and said, the way I like to think about it is somebody is going to die. And if that means life comes out of death, then there is a positive to this. So you aren't praying for someone to die. You're praying for there to be hope for your family. And I clung to that. And that is truly what got me through it. And we saw different things through the process that made us cling to that hope. Little signs every time it was difficult. I remember we would go pay for fast food and we would get the receipt and they would say, and your change is $3.13, which is Sophia's birthday. And it was like, wow, okay, all right, we've got this, we can do this. And it was little signs like that that kept me going, even with the word transplant looming right. in the back of my head. Arvid, how, how did you accept the word transplant? Did you accept the word transplant, I guess? I think I blacked out. I mean, I just, I total autopilot. (laughs) There were days that we would drive for appointments and people would joke and say, he's the driver. He had the purpose of getting us there and all the hard things I did. Mm -hmm. And he 
probably doesn't remember, but he was the positive. And to this day, I did the things and I made the calls and I did the hard, scary things, but it was because I knew that he was by my side and he gave me this strength that I could do it. And very much we saw with Sophia that I was the comforting, snuggly. I think a lot of people don't know that's why I have long hair. My hair is Sophia's security blanket to this day. If she gets nervous, she'll grab my hair. Where Arvid is the fun, funny, he brings the comic relief. And I'm the snuggly. Well, Arvid has no hair, so. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Arvid, I had to throw it in there. That's fine. So To this day, she brings stuff up. Like, you remember that? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I can tell, like, what the soap and sanitizer smell like in the hospital. And he's, like, not there. But. Just to build on, there were so many signs throughout her entire journey that it's just, I've told some people and it's either. It's not believable. It's not believable. Um, I've had a couple of people say like they get goosebumps when I'm telling them this stuff. Some are very skeptical, like, yeah, whatever. It's just coincidence. It's like just so many threes and 13s showed up in our gas receipts, our fast food Coming back, the one time we stopped off at a McDonald's and the kids had to use the restroom, we went in. There was this lady on a bike, motorcycle, kind of rough looking. As we came back out of the McDonald's, she's like, sir, can I have a moment of your time? I'm like, oh boy, what's going on? I got the kids in the van. I'm like, all right, I'll be right there. And so I went and helped her. Here, it was her husband's bike. It was too big for her to prop up. She had passed away, and she was taking it for one last ride. Is that what it was? So all she needed me to do was help her get it propped up so she could get it, like, started. That was it. She just couldn't lift it off the kickstand. That's all she needed. So I helped her, and she's like, hold on one second. She's like, I have something for you. And she reached in her pocket, pulled out a penny with a cross stamped out of it. And she, at that point, said, she put it in his hand and she said, I want you to know your daughter will be fine. And he had said nothing. We had said nothing. And he came back. He's walking to the vehicle and he's white as a ghost. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, what did this woman do to my husband? Like, he's six feet tall. She was probably five one. What did she do to him? And with tears in his eyes, he told me. And oh, my God, I got goosebumps. Oh, my gosh. Yes, it was things like that all along that we clung to. And I mean, so many from songs, mm-hmm. crazy. Like our, our wedding song, talking about the city of the center that she ended up being transplanted at. And I'm like, it's not a coincidence that she was diagnosed on her anniversary. It taught us that we can get through anything together. Sophia has transplanted. Tell us how that process worked for Sophia. Then we will talk about what Sophia is up to today. 
So transplant was brought up about three months after her Kasai. She wasn't gaining weight. The ascites was building up even more. She was getting yellower by the second. They wanted to work on getting her listed before she got too sick. We had a clinic appointment and they said, we will call you the next day to schedule the transplant workup. As scary as it was, I was ready to just get this going and do what we needed to do. I didn't want to delay it. We, at that point, didn't get a phone call. It was the next day at 4.59, they called and said, we cannot schedule the transplant workup. And I was like, here we go. Okay. They said, your insurance won't cover it. So we need about a month and we will work with your insurance to get this figured out. And I said, okay, what can I do? Because a month, like my child is getting sicker by the day. We don't have a month to wait. And it was at that point that she said nothing, just sit back, take care of her and we'll handle it. By this point, it's five o'clock and I can't do anything at this point. And the next day I was like, you know what? No, I don't do well sitting, doing nothing. I need to just handle this for them. They're busy. They have how many patients? And I called the insurance and I said, okay, we're going to get this approved and we're going to get approved today. And I'm going to get this scheduled today because I need this to happen. And so you can either help me, you can direct me to who I need to talk to. And if I need to, I will call the National Guard. I will call the president. I will call whoever I need to call. And I said, this is all going to be scheduled by noon. And at 11.51, the phone rang. It was the caseworker letting me know that we needed to switch centers, which was an instant fear because it's further from home. And at this point, it's establishing a new relationship, which seems terrifying. Arvid, again, was totally calm and was like, a couple more hour drive, Steph, it's no big deal. We've got this. Let's go. Let's load up. And to me, all I kept thinking is I'm further away from my other kids. I can't be further away. We made the switch. And within two weeks, we were headed down for the transplant workup. And it was a whirlwind. We had the transplant workup and we came home the same day. Everything was good. And they called us early the next morning and they wanted one more image to get her listed. We went and we got the CT scan done. That was on Thursday, and by Monday, we got a phone call that she was listed. I believe when she was listed, her peld was 22, which to me at that time seemed horrible. And I thought, oh my gosh, she can't get any sicker than this. Mm-hmm. Little did I know. She's waiting on the list. Mm-hmm. How long did she have to wait to transplant? She waited just, it was almost three months to transplant. That was only because we had a living donor. Yeah. Walk us through um, living donor. Like how did you guys get into that whole living donor? Did you have to seek out for one? How did that work? So they had told us from the beginning that she would be a good candidate. I was all about this. I wanted to be her donor. I'm mom. I have to do this. Found out that I was the wrong blood type and I was crushed. So I was like, all right, Arvid is the blood type. He's up. 
I gave birth, he can be the donor. Fine. And <laughs> I mean, fair enough, right? And even during the transplant workup, the surgeon looked and said, you know, blood clots after transplant can be common, but if dad is not donor, we can take him back to the OR and pull a vein from his neck and I can create a new vein with it. Are you good with that? I'm like, yeah, I'm good with that. Take him. And Arvid's sitting there like, wait, you're going to, what? I'm like, just shut up and go with it. If it saves our child, we'll take whatever we need to from you. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall that day. (laughs) That would have been great. Where do I sign? Let's do it. We started letting people know via social media that she could receive a living donor transplant. And my dad and Arvid were the right blood types and instantly filled out their donor packets. If we go back to the beginning, the close family friend who had told us that she was yellow said all along, I'm going to be her living donor. And I brushed it off. I was like, you're 22 years old. No, you're not. But okay, thank you. I appreciate that. Have a nice day. We ended up with 13 packets submitted. There's that number again. Yep. Within the first day, the nurse from the adult hospital who handles the living donor side of it called me. It was a Friday night at like eight o'clock at night. And I was like, oh my gosh, is this the call? And my heart stopped and she's like, Stephanie, first of all, I want to tell you, this is not the call. I'm like, okay, thank you for that. Um, And she said, the next bit of news I have is I need to let you know that Arvid is not a good match. Being six feet tall, his liver is going to be too big. And as tiny as Sophia is, we can't split her liver or his liver that little. But there is somebody who submitted a packet who everybody on the team feels is a perfect match. And we will be calling that person next week. But it's up to them if they tell you or not. And I'm like, okay, all right, I will sit here and wait because I'm horrible at waiting, but I'll sit here. I had been updating the family friend the whole time, and she was a huge help with not only Sophia, but our other kids. And it was the following week. I had gotten a phone call about one o'clock in the afternoon, and she said, do you remember that phone call that we talked about that somebody was going to get? And I was busy and said, yeah, yeah, what about it? And she's like, I just got that phone call. I am on paper Sophia's perfect match. And they want me to come down next week to be tested because they feel I'm perfect. And I lost my mind at that point. I started sobbing hysterically. We weren't going to tell anybody except close family that someone was being tested. And she went down and went through the whole process and documented the whole process. So Sophia can still look back on everything that everybody went through. And she found out three weeks later that she was a perfect match. She couldn't just call me and tell me. And so it was about nine o'clock on a Friday night. We were hanging out in bed watching TV. Sophia was getting a feed. Sophia was, she had a feeding tube at that point. She was getting a feed. I'm like, is somebody at the door? 
And Irvin's like, the doorbell didn't ring. Why do you think someone's at the door? I'm like, I heard something. I got a text saying, I'm at your front door. Come to your door. I'm like, what? And I went to the door with Kayla standing there with a mutual friend. And she was holding a gift bag. And she came in. And Irvin and Sophia came out. And the other kids came running. And she's like, I need you to open the gift bag. And as I opened the gift bag, I pulled out a little pink onesie. And as I pulled it out to read it, she unzipped her jacket to a matching shirt that said, keep calm, wear a match. And hope was restored. We had a donor, we had a match. And three weeks later, surgery happened on December 30th. Oh, that is amazing. Yes. It's like you can finally exhale a little bit a little bit yeah absolutely yes oh that's an amazing amazing story what is miss sophia up to now i think i heard her pitter pattering around a little bit (laughs) she is very busy which is incredible she is a little over nine years post-transplant which amazing doesn't seem real um it seems like this just happened she is down to one medication once a day. She takes one tacro pill once a day and that's it. She takes everything with life in stride. She gets labs every three months and sits like a rock star, thanks the lab tech when they're all done and gets her little juice and is on her way. <laughs> um, she loves to draw. She loves life. She is wise beyond her years and thankfully isn't bothered by the medical side, which has been huge. She loves her yearly checkup because she gets, as she calls it, her massage, which is her ultrasound, (laughs) but she feels that it is her massage for taking good care of her liver. Whatever works. (laughs) And I will go with it. (laughs) And if... People come over and they see our four kids in here that one of our kids had a transplant. They have no idea which one because she's just a normal kid loving life. That is amazing. That's been my biggest takeaway and my biggest piece for other parents is you will smile again and you will be happy again and you will mean it. Yeah. Going through that whole BA journey there's bumps right yes, there yeah. and she's had her bumps thankfully not a ton but you get through it right she has more of a fear getting her teeth pulled as they're getting loose now than <laughs> she does going for her lab yeah her labs or even liver biopsy yeah <clears throat> oh my god yeah her last one she skipped back to the ronald from the hospital yeah. I do have to say it's weird. Like we're kind of brought together because Sophia's transplant is on my son's birthday. Yes. Which is crazy. Which is so incredible. Yes. And our kids are friends, which is yes. even crazier. So yes, um, it's been amazing to see these two transplant kids in your family and my family be able to 
go through this journey together. So there might be a little crush. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh no. Not only is Nate's birthday, Sophia's transplant anniversary, but she has a little crush on Nate. <laughs> oh my goodness, that, that is adorable. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Are we going to become in-laws? I think we are. <laughs> because in a game, she gave Nate his favorite pet because she's like, mom, he liked that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh my. Oh, that is adorable. Arvid's face is hilarious right now. He's sitting there going, oh crap. Yes. <laughs> not ready to talk marriage for my no, not, no, absolutely not. Oh my God. So I want to thank you for thank opening you. up, sharing things that I'm sure are hard to bring back that happened nine years ago. It's a tough journey, but it's one that we look back and we look at our kids now and they're able to enjoy life. And in that that is a blessing in itself. So I want to thank you for joining me tonight and talking about Sophia, talking about her journey, sharing with us where she is at now today. And I wish her nothing but success in the future, health in the future. Looking forward to being her future mother-in-law, I guess now. So <laughs> But Buckle all, up. We have a wedding to plan. We got a wedding to plan now. But in all seriousness, I want to thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for everything that you do for Bear as well. For those of you listening who don't know, they are both on the board. Arvid is my IT guru and helps me when I call him and cry when I can't figure things out. And Stephanie is one of those uh, many of the other ladies who is definitely there on the patient and family support side. So thank you for all that you guys do. I know you pour your hearts into this organization and into the community and the community is very blessed to have you guys. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. We thank are you. honored to be a part of this. Thanks for joining us. Join us next time as we bear it all.